Hello and welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. Glad to have you with me. Here we are again. God, weeks really flip past, don't they? Here it is, uh, January 30th. It's a Saturday afternoon. I'm talking to you from several days ago, if you're hearing this, on Monday or some day subsequent to Monday. And uh, yeah, here we are. Uh, standard disclaimer, once again. You've heard it before. You'll hear it again. You'll hear it from me, right from the sauce. Uh, I won't sing the, <laughs> I won't sing the Mister Ed song. I'll just continue with my disclaimer as I previously stated. Um, the views expressed on Strange Sound are mine and mine alone. I'm Joe. They are my opinions. No one else's. They do not represent the opinions of my employer of my uh, neighbors, of my friends, of my family members, of anyone associated with me, of anyone following me on social media or interacting with me on social media or liking my posts or not liking my posts. Um, no one else is represented herein. Just me. This is just me bloviating about issues of the day, what I consider to be vital issues of the day that may not be... Um, sufficiently discussed in the mainstream media or in the sort of uh, the little sub-universe of the podcastosphere, if such a thing exists, um, or the Twitter sphere um, that I am privy to, you know, that I'm aware of. I'm sure a lot of these things that I talk about are, are spoken of, you know, elsewhere, and I'm sure people talk about them much more knowledgeably than I do. i don't have any claim to any special expertise here. Uh, <laughs> this kind of reminds me of a time I, uh, this is back when it was it was the cusp of the launch of the Iraq war. I think it might have been right after the start of the war. Um, I had penned a um, long rebuttal to, I think it was a rebuttal to something our congressperson had um, sent out with regard to the war, um, I had sort of written a letter to uh, my Congress member, um, who was Sherwood Bullard, um, at that time. It was 2002 or 2003, early 2003 perhaps. Um, and he had sent me back a reply that was full of what I consider to be uh, inaccurate or misleading statements or things that I just simply didn't agree with. And what I'd wanted to do was write an open letter to um, Sherwood Bollert. This is in, I think, probably later in the spring of uh, of 2003 and have it published in our local newspaper, which is the uh, Utica Observer-Dispatch. And I sent the letter in. I believe I called them and asked if I could do an a guest 
either a guest view or a guest editorial. And uh, as I had seen other local citizens with no particular um, expertise other than just that they were, you know, somehow happened upon by the editorial staff at the Observer Dispatch. Um, and I thought, well, well, maybe they'll, uh, maybe they'll be willing to publish, uh, my letter as kind of like an open letter or an op-ed kind of thing. And, uh, they had like a, they had some pretty severe limitations on the length of letters back in those days. They, they since relaxed them. I think they were limiting you to like 150 words back then, uh, or 175 words, um, and then they sort of expanded it to 250 or whatever. It was some, you know, it was a space limitation, as they put it. Anyway, I called the editor on this occasion, and I asked if um, they would consider letting me do a guest view. And the editors, um, who, the editor who I will not name publicly here, <laughs> but the editor uh, asked me, well, what's your expertise on this? And I said, well, you know, I don't, have any special expertise except that you know I am a, a citizen and I pay attention to these issues I've been paying attention to these issues for many years um and it, it seemed like kind of a strange question because I'd seen I'd seen op-ed pieces submitted by uh people who advertised in the paper you know and people who were you know sort of uh, prominent business people in the area who uh, had either conservative views or something like that. And, you know, no particular specialty expertise to be commenting on what they were commenting on, just that they were prominent citizens and that the newspaper considered them to be uh, newsworthy in some way. And I was, I was a little taken aback by that. But, uh, it, you know, they... To make a long story short, they refused my request to do an op-ed, which is their prerogative, and I totally accepted that. I was a subscriber. I remained a subscriber for years after that. Um, no hard feelings. Uh, I actually sent a version of my op-ed in as a letter to the editor. Uh, they also told me that they don't publish open letters to uh, Congress people, which, you know, that's, again, that's their prerogative. It's their publication. I sent the long version of that letter to another local publication. I think it was a Rome Sentinel or some Rome newspaper. I think it might have been like an alternative Rome newspaper. Rome, New York, I should say. And <laughs> another central New York town that's uh, um, you'll find it on a map if you really look hard. It's where the our local air base used to be. Anyway, um, they published it in its entirety. However, they had an editor's note with it. Um, part of what I had written about back then was some of the um, misinformation that was that was put out about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And at that time, there was a story that was current that was suggesting that um, whoever the U.S. Uh, appointed weapons inspector was in Iraq at that time had supposedly run across um, evidence of weapons of mass destruction. And the editor's note sort of refuted that part of my letter in advance of publishing that. 
a little bank shot on that. It turned out that that story was bogus. <laughs> um, that it, as as everyone now probably knows, um, they never really found the thing that they said that they were worried about. They said that was you know one of the motivations for the invasion in the first place. But again, this is just kind of a long way of saying. You know, I don't have any particular expertise in any of the things that I'm talking about. And uh, that that was where I was at in the early 2000s when I when I tried to submit this uh, <laughs> this letter to the editor, which I have to say, going back over it, um, I was I've been sort of um, vindicated on on pretty much every point that I made in that in that long piece. Um not that it took Kreskin to figure out that any of that was true. A lot of it was public information, publicly reported stuff. It's just that it wasn't being discussed in the mainstream media, and it wasn't being discussed by our representatives in Congress. Um, so I, I wanted to make that point. But again, I think my main point here is just that I think it's important for us to make our voices heard, not to feel like you have to necessarily be an expert on something to comment on something it's enough just to have lived in america and to have like looked and listened and followed um stories and followed um issues for uh, a number of years and been able to formulate an opinion on something that's based on fact um as opposed to you know based on on a bunch of crap um and to become part of the of the of the national conversation or the regional or local conversation, depending on what the issue is, I have a strong belief in encouraging people to engage in that those kinds of conversations, whether or not they regard themselves to be an expert, to be open to new ideas, um, not to be too dogmatic about things in other words not to cling to your ideas even when you you know um find convincing evidence to the contrary i i don't believe in being rigid about these things <laughs> but i do believe in trying to engage with some of these issues as private citizens and not necessarily as experts and to disclose that you know that's why i'm saying here i'm not an expert I'm not making any claim to have any kind of specialized knowledge about this. I've done a lot of reading and studying on my own, as uh, as the uh, story goes. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I have gaps in my knowledge just like everybody else. But I'm going to try to talk about things that I have some confidence about or at least some some passion about. And that's, that's mostly what I'm about here. Um, I don't want to go much further without sort of commenting on the ongoing tragedy that's happening in, in our country right now with regard to COVID-19. Uh, I want to say that um, this week I was able to get my uh, wife inoculated to get her first shot, her first COVID shot. Uh, she she got the Moderna vaccine. Um, it's still a gold rush here in New York State. Um all of the official uh, listings of where you can get a shot in New York State uh, over the past week or so have been coming up empty. So like our county health department, 
They have a landing page for COVID vaccines. It's consistently just said, we, we don't have any vaccines. We have no vaccines. Um, the state, same thing. We're out of COVID vaccines. Uh, so we can't, you know, we can't set you up for a shot because we don't have any shots. And it was pretty much that way all week. Um, around the middle of the week, I got a call from a relative who, who told me that um, she had arranged for a shot for a friend of hers. And again, they're, they're only really inoculating people who have either, um, either specific underlying conditions or in sort of front, frontline uh, health workers or frontline education workers or who are over 65. My relative had a uh, friend who was over 65 who needed to get the shot, had some underlying conditions, and she had found, um, I don't know how she did this, but she, she, she must have just searched around. She found that uh, one of the local drugstore chains, uh, kind of a regional drugstore chain, was offering um, appointments. Even though the state and the county um, websites dedicated to the COVID vaccine said that there were no vaccines. This regional drugstore chain, the local outlets were offering appointments for shots, for COVID shots. And she had signed her friend up for it, or she had given her friend um, the means to sign up for it. She shared the the link. And then she she shared the news with, with us because she knew that my wife was um, was eligible for a a COVID shot, and also my my sister was eligible because she they're they're both um, within their age range of eligibility, and so I set that up, and I took her in to I took my wife into um, this uh, chain drugstore um, outlet uh, a few miles from our house, and it was pretty rapid very little time at all, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. Um, we walked in, they had set up an appointment for us. We got there in a spot on the time we had to fill out a a little bit of paperwork and then they sent us back and she got her shot and we hung out for 15 minutes to see if she was going to have some kind of allergic reaction. Um, and then we left and that was it. They scheduled the follow-up shot for a month from now. And, And that was it. And it was just, it was extremely easy. It was easier than uh, the last flu shot that we got, <laughs> which was uh, uh, late last year, sometime in the fall. Um, we had had to wait in line for, I don't know, I think like half an hour, 45 minutes maybe, uh, even with uh, an appointment um, at another drugstore chain uh, to get those shots. And and we finally got them, but it was there was a lot of waiting around. Um, this COVID shot, we waited 10 minutes, maybe. Um, it was, it was done very efficiently. And, but the thing that is the most amazing thing about it is that it's, it's like the wild west. I mean, there is no way to find out about this, um, this vaccine pod, you know, being hosted by, a regional drugstore chain, a regional pharmacy chain that, you know, without just stumbling upon it. 
There's no sort of central clearinghouse of, well, you can get a vaccine here, here, and here. Um, it's how they got their hands on the vaccine, I don't know. Because nobody else in in either you know our region of the state or even statewide had any vaccines. The state was saying there were no vaccines available. They had no goddamn shots. <laughs> and it's like I... I talked about this a little bit on the last episode, and it's it's just amazing to me how chaotic this is, and that we just got lucky. We got lucky. A friend, a not a friend, a relative of mine, happened to notice this, set it up for a friend of hers, and told us about it. And we just happened to get in in time to get uh, a couple of to get one of the appointments, and. And so my my wife got her COVID, her first COVID shot, uh, which I'm very glad to say that she did because uh, she has underlying issues as well as being a little over the eligibility age. So, yeah, uh, good news for us, but not exactly good news for other people, right? Because this is chaos. It's like the Wild West. Somebody said it was like the Hunger Games. Um, I'm not, you know... I'm not really up on the Hunger Games. I sort of have an idea of what it's about, but it's it's probably a pretty good comparison. I mean, it is literally like, we've got 500 shots, quick, sign up now. <laughs> it's just insane. Even stranger, there's like a, uh, there's a medical company uh, that runs hospitals and clinics and, and that sort of thing um, in our area that, has set up a vaccination pod and it's literally right next door to where I work, where my workplace is. So I drive past the thing. Now they haven't had any shots, right? I kept checking with them just to see if, uh, you know, they had any vaccine and they haven't had any vaccine. Like almost like what I was assuming was everybody else in the state at that time. And, uh, turns out this, uh, this, drugstore chain had some shots how they got them i don't know so uh i wish you luck out there trying to get your shots i'm hoping that i mean the new administration keeps saying that they're going to you know they're pumping up the numbers and they're they're trying to you know get more vaccine out there and they're trying to get the means in place to administer more vaccines and they've upped the numbers and of vaccines being administered every every day and you know great that sounds great but i haven't seen evidence of it locally yet so uh people are on pins and needles and i totally understand that all i can say is <laughs> if you can find a shot out there i mean <laughs> just keep checking those chain drugstore sites that's all i can say i i don't know how my relative found it but she obviously found it by poking around it's stupid that you have to do that. It doesn't make any effing sense, but apparently that's where we're at now. So anyway, what was I going to talk about today? Well, I was going to talk about democracy today. I just wanted to talk about the right to vote. Again, my... Uh, Leftist friends are probably going to once again accuse me of being an electoralist. (laughs) 
obsessed with elections. Uh, yes, I know, I know. Uh, I do talk about this a lot, but it is it is kind of an important thing. It's not the most important thing I realize, but it's important. And it's it's our only connection to formal democracy. That's it. That's all we got. That's It's the only statutory connection we have to formal democracy um, and a actual functioning republic. Um, I've long been of the opinion that we should have a constitutional amendment um, that asserts the right to vote and makes that unambiguous, that that should be part of our constitution and that we should pass that, adopt it, um, send that out to the states. Now, of course, you need, I think, what is it, two-thirds majority in both houses to pass a uh, constitutional amendment or a three-quarters majority? I can't remember. i got to look at the Constitution to know. Someone out there maybe can tell me. Um, I could, you know, a simple Google search would find it. But I know it's a super majority to get it through the Houses of Congress. I think president has to sign it as well, right? I don't know. Does anyone remember? Anyway, I know it has to be approved by three quarters of the states. And uh, yeah, it's a very uh, arduous process. But I think, you know, I think people should put it out there, right? I think there should be a right to vote somewhat akin to the right to uh, bear arms, right? Uh, which has been interpreted expansively by the courts over the years um, in in ways that sort of defy reason, if you ask me. Uh, but nobody's asking me, right? Uh, <laughs> I just think it's I, I think it's crazy. I mean, I've talked about this on the on the podcast before. I think um, just the notion that uh, that you can't apply. Um, semantics to you know something like the <laughs> like the second amendment is is just insane we do make a cut uh, i won't go on at length about this but i mean it's simply that you know the second amendment never is in in the limited number of words of the second amendment none of those words is the word gun it's arms it's the right to bear arms. Now, we obviously make a cut in there, right? Because arms includes all kinds of arms, right? What does arms mean? What does the word arms mean? Does it just mean guns? Bear arms. What does that mean? Not wearing sleeves? I don't know. I mean, honestly, the right to bear and keep and bear arms. Uh, it could be interpreted to mean bazookas, right? But we don't we don't interpret it that way. Why? Because we don't want people carrying bazookas around. Now, maybe some subsequent iteration of the Republican Party will be advocating for bazookas at some point. I wouldn't be at all surprised. I wouldn't be at all surprised if they were advocating for pipe bombs. You have a right to carry pipe bombs around. You have a right to carry around those little sort of Boris Badenoff bombs with a fuse coming out, those round black bombs with a fuse coming out of the top. Yeah, you have a right to that. 
or you have a right to the, uh, let's see, the Rothschild space laser gun that started the forest fires, according to Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> that started the California forest fires. According to the distinguished congresswoman from Georgia that everyone is talking about. That's back crap crazy. Uh, yeah. The um, George Soros funded um, Rothschild approved space laser that starts forest fires to make conservatives look bad. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, those are arms too, right? Um, so maybe someday Marjorie Taylor Greene will be uh, insisting that she can, she, she should be allowed the right to bring space lasers into the, um, house chamber because she feels threatened. I don't know. Whatever. But anyway, I think we should have an amendment akin to the second amendment. You know, relatively simply put, but maybe with several provisions, one that just says we unequivocally have a right to vote, that that right should not be infringed by, you know, any law passed by the states or passed by the federal government. You can't, you can't infringe that right. Everyone has a birthright to vote, period, and to have your vote counted. Um, and then maybe another part of that law is, you know, I personally think we should expand it to be direct election of of the president. Direct popular election of the president. Do away with the electoral college. It's, a, it's an anachronism. It's a ridiculous grandfather clause. Get rid of it. Let's be more like a democracy. Um, I'm not going to go into detail about that issue. I've talked about it before, but I just think that that might be a, a good sort of section to have in such an amendment. Um, I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. <laughs> I think it would be really great if we could. Uh, there is H.R. 1, which is a uh, voting rights um, set of legislation that was moved forward by the... Uh, by the House of Representatives back in 2019, um, which they kind of didn't emphasize all that much, but, you know, because they're stupid, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that was pushed forward that it had some really good provisions in it. But there are things that could be, because it's a law, you know, it can be struck down, uh, it can be challenged. If you have an amendment to the Constitution, if you can man manage to get, you know, the pass the the various high bars of getting that approved and confirmed um, and and adopted, um, that's it. That's that. I mean, it's going to be interpreted, sure, but if you're careful in how you draft it, that could be the thing. In the absence of that, though, there have been some. State laws as well that uh, expand ballot access. There's been there's been a fairly large number of those um, early this year. I should say though that there's a recent uh, Brennan Center report, and I'll include a link to this in the show notes um, that gives an overview both of those voting rights expansions at the state level, but uh, also of restrictive ballot laws um, 
that are being passed at a record rate early this year in the wake of the last election as a means of restricting people's ability to access the ballot in any number of states. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit from this from this uh, piece. You can you can obviously read the report yourself. I'll include a link. But uh, just from the overview, thus far this year, 28 states have introduced, pre-filed, or carried over 106 bills to restrict voting access. These proposals primarily seek to limit mail voting access, limit vote by mail, impose stricter voter ID requirements, limit successful pro-voter registration policies, and enable more aggressive voter roll purges. These bills are an unmistakable response to the unfounded and dangerous lies about fraud that followed the 2020 election. So again, this is taking the lie that Donald Trump and the rest of the Republican Party promoted, trumpeted, talked about incessantly um, that somehow the um, election of November 2020 was fraudulent and that he had actually won the election that it's taking that bullshit and it's it's interpreting it and and using it as a motivation for these laws for these increasingly restrictive laws not that they wouldn't have done this anyway but this is added fuel to that because the constituencies in the states that these laws are being passed in are all you know jumping up and down over this because they've been told that there was they've been told from the top down and again the president has the president has an incredible um, power to communicate ideas. It's unparalleled. And when the president says that the election was a fraud, and that everybody knows it, and that he won and won by a lot, um, and he says it over and over and over again, and that lie gets repeated by other people in power, including many senators and many House members and people in the right-wing media, and it gets pushed out day after day. That has an enormous effect. And that's got people fucking jumping up and down in these states. And they're pushing the legislators to do something. And this is what's happening. The leader in this regard is Pennsylvania, according to this report. They've proposed voter suppression legislation um, with 14 restrictive policy proposals. 14. This year, in 2021, it's only, we're in the first month of 2021, and they've they've already um, proposed 14 restrictive policies regarding voting. New Hampshire comes in second with 11 bills, Missouri with nine bills, Mississippi, New Jersey, and Texas with eight bills. New Jersey, for Christ's sake. Georgia lawmakers reportedly pr- plan to introduce bills to require an excuse to cast an absentee ballot mandate photo ID when returning an absentee ballot, and ban ballot drop boxes, among other harsh restrictions. And I want to talk a little bit in detail about some of these laws, because these are pretty important. So I wanted to talk about the uh, restrictions on mail voting, um, on vote by mail. Uh, This, again, is from the Brennan Center report. Apparently, there are five bills in three states that would make the excuse requirement more stringent for absentee voting or would eliminate no-excuse mail voting. This is in response to the president 
going around saying vote by mail is is rife with fraud, with zero evidence, zero. He himself votes by mail. He himself and his family members and a lot of people in his administration vote by mail. Service members vote by mail. A lot of people vote by mail. And they're really only concerned about it coming from, you know, areas where there are concentrations of voters of color. (laughs) That's what they're worried about. Uh, This report gives the example of a Missouri bill that would eliminate COVID-19 concerns as an excuse. I mean, seriously. (laughs) It's like they can see into the future. COVID-19 is not going to be a problem the next time an election comes up. So to hell with that. Apparently, Arizona and Pennsylvania have introduced bills that would eliminate the permanent early voter list. Two bills in Arizona and one in New Jersey would make it easier for officials to remove voters from the permanent absentee list. In addition, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Washington are considering New Jersey, for Christ's sake, are considering bills to limit who can send absentee ballot applications to voters without an affirmative request. Also, a New York bill, you know, this is important, would restrict who can submit absentee ballot applications on another voter's behalf. New York. You know, this is all, and I talked about this in a previous episode, this is all a product of the Supreme Court's gutting of the Voting Rights Act, elimination of the preclearance um, condition. Now, that wouldn't affect all of these laws, but a lot of these laws are in the states that were subject to preclearance. A lot of the states that are listed in this Brennan Center study are the states that were named in the preclearance section of the Voting Rights Act that was struck down by the Supreme Court. And, you know, that's not lost on anybody. And and seriously, if the Supreme Court's point was that that was unfair to those states, that's fine. Maybe you should apply it to all states. Because apparently, this sort of thing is happening in New Jersey as well, and in New York as well. It's not just the red states. It's not just the southern states and some of the other states that were covered by the preclearance condition provision. This apparently is happening all over the country. So maybe what we need to do is have a process. And again, this is one of the reasons why we we should have a constitutional amendment that speaks directly to the right to vote. Because that would undergird an effort to to take a close look at this legislation before it becomes law instead of having to wait until it becomes law and then challenge it after someone is harmed by it. The difference between preclearance and the ability to litigate after after the laws have been implemented and, and passed, passed and implemented, is that the harm has to take place first. So it's like closing the barn door after the, the horse gets out, in the old expression. Which is ridiculous. You know, so the preclearance um, provision should just apply to every state in the union. That there's a federal interest, that there's a compelling public interest on a nationwide level to review this type of legislation that could potentially restrict voter access to the ballot. This should be considered a fundamental right. 
we shouldn't even have to be talking about this. You know, this is supposed to be a democracy, a democratic republic. And they are undermining this. They're continuing to do so. There's a larger number of voter restrictions um, being introduced this year than there was last year, according to this report. They just keep ramping this up. And again, (laughs) this is one of the problems with how the media approaches this, because a lot of the people that they were pointing cameras at uh, in the follow-up to the um, to the November election, uh, when Trump was trying to get, say, Georgia to change people's votes, change the vote tallies, and make it sound like he won Georgia when he didn't, um, a lot of the people that they were focusing on, like that Raffensperger guy, and some of the other uh, officials in, in Georgia who are all all Republicans, um, they are people who are behind these voter ID laws. They are people who are behind these restrictive measures like voter purges. Um, these are not people who are on the side of greater access to ballots. These are people who have been consistently against access to the ballot um, being extended to people of color particularly. And they're trying to exclude people using the means that have traditionally been used to exclude voters of color and people of lower income. They set up the restrictions so that they disproportionately affect people of color and people with lower incomes. This is something they knowingly do. And in some states, they even admit it. I think it was in North Carolina, uh, they, they had, you know, legislators actually saying that that's why they were doing this type of law. <laughs> and it's obvious, right? That's why you need that preclearance provision. So my hope is that, my hope is that the Democratic Congress and the Democratic president will somehow restore the preclearance provision of the Voting Rights Act um, in the coming year and make that apply to pretty much every, not pretty much, every single state of the union. I also think that D.C. statehood is is a thing too. Not just because it's going to give us two more senators. I won't say that it would, that wouldn't make me happy. But those people deserve to be represented. There's over 700,000 of them. That's more people than you have in freaking Wyoming and they get two senators. Why the hell shouldn't the people of Washington, D.C. have two senators? It's ridiculous. Okay, well, I could go on. I'm going to include the link to this Brennan report. I encourage you to read it because it's it, it's kind of sobering and at least brings home the fact that these people are not repentant. You know, they're not repentant. They're not sorry about what happened. They're taking this lie about what happened in 2020. And they're extending it into policy. They're using it to fuel the policy that they've been pursuing for decades. So they're upping their game. They're upping the ante. They're trying to make it harder to vote. They don't want to see what happened last fall happen again. And unless we cut them off and unless we stop them, we're going to be faced with some pretty serious reversals in a couple of years, over the next couple of years, in the 2022 races. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to obsess about that, but I, I want to say I, I think it's important to maintain people's access to the ballot 
and make sure that people are participating in elections, whatever else they do. As activists, we need to do more than just that. But we also have to do that. Oh, boy. And that's all I got to say for today. Thanks for listening. God, stuff really pisses me off, friends. That's all I got. I like to hear what you have to say. I say this every week. I'll say it again. You can leave a voice message to me by going to anchor.fm slash strange sound and uh, clicking on the voice message link on the episode. Or if you go in the Anchor app, I don't actually have the Anchor app, but I'm pretty sure there's pretty easy way to uh, you know leave a voice message if you want to. Be glad to listen to it. Be glad to play it on the air. Assuming it isn't nasty and encouraging people to do nasty things, uh, I reserve the right to <laughs> to not play those. But I, I have a very expensive, I have a very expansive sense of what I would include on this show, so I'm happy to include other voices. Um, if you want to contact me in other ways, you can contact me on Twitter. You'll find me at Strange Sound Pod. If you go to um, Big Green.net and click on the contact link. You'll find other ways to get in touch with me. Um, And I'm trying to think what else you can do. Anyway, let's turn this into a conversation. I keep saying that. I do want that to happen. I would be happy to set up a Zoom session with somebody, record it, and uh, play it on the air, as long as you don't make a total monkey out of me. Uh, And anyway, thanks for listening. Be well. Stay safe. Take care out there. I'll talk to you next week.